Orange Curtain, a look at 80s music from Orange County, California. Music that came from here and music that came to here. Join me, your host, Doug Crandall, every Thursday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Good evening and welcome to Behind the Orange Curtain. Behind the Orange Curtain explores music that came from Orange County, California to influence the rest of the world, and music that made it to Orange County, California from around the world to influence those of us who lived here during the 80s. Tonight's episode explores the singles released from The Cure from 1978 to 1992. And although they're still active and have released music well after this period, I want to stay true to the influence that they had during the 80s here in Orange County and around the world. During the 80s, I was fortunate to see The Cure many times at Irvine Meadows Amphitheater. Their audience was always dressed in black, with heavy eyeliner, pale makeup, and a lot of hairspray. As the British TV show, The Mighty Boosh, puts it, the hairspray was called goth juice, and it's the most powerful hairspray known to man because it's made from the tears of Robert Smith. The founding members of The Cure were school friends at Notre Dame Middle School in Crawley in West Sussex. Their first public performance was at an end-of-year show in April of 1973 as members of a one-off school band called Obelesque. The band consisted of Robert Smith on piano, Michael, or Mick Dempsey, on guitar, Lawrence, or Lal Tolhurst, on percussion, Mark Sagagno on lead guitar, and Alan Hill on bass guitar. In January of 1976, while at St. Wilfred's Comprehensive School, Sagagno formed a five-piece rock band with Smith on guitar and Dempsey on bass, along with two other school friends. They called themselves Malice and rehearsed David Bowie, Jimi Hendrix, and Alex Harvey songs in a local church hall. In January of 1977, following a band member's departure, and increasingly influenced by the emergence of punk rock, Malice's remaining members became known as Easy Cure after a song written by Tolhurst. After winning a talent competition, Easy Cure signed a recording contract with German record label Ariola Hansa in 1977. In September of 1977, Peter O'Toole, no relation to the actor, who had been the group's vocalist for several months, left the group to live in a kibbutz, a collective community in Israel that was traditionally based on agriculture. Both Malice and Easy Cure auditioned several vocalists that month before Smith assumed the role. The new four-piece of Dempsey, Smith, Thompson, and Tolhurst recorded their first studio demo sessions as Easy Cure for Hansa at SAV Studios in London between October and November of 1977 none were ever released. Hansa was dissatisfied with the group's demos and did not wish to release Killing an Arab. The label suggested that the band attempt cover versions instead. They refused, and by March of 1978, Easy Cure's contract with the label had been dissolved. Smith later recalled, We were very young. They just thought they could turn us into a teen group. All they actually wanted us to do was cover versions, and we always refused. On April 22, 1978, Easy Cure played their last gig at the Montefiore Institute Hall. 
before guitarist Porl Thompson was dropped from the lineup because his lead guitar style was at odds with Smith's growing preference for minimalistic songwriting. The remaining trio were soon renamed The Cure by Smith. Later that month, the band recorded their first sessions as a trio at Chestnut Studios in Sussex, which were distributed as a demo tape to dozens of major record labels. The demo found its way to Polydor Records scout Chris Perry, who signed The Cure to his newly formed fiction label, distributed by Polydor. The Cure released their debut single, Killing an Arab, in December of 1978 on the small Wonder label as a stopgap until Fiction finalized distribution arrangements with Polydor. Killing an Arab garnered both acclaim and controversy. While the single's provocative title led to accusations of racism, the song is actually based on French existentialist Albert Camus's novel The Stranger. In the book, the main character, Massal, and blinded by the desert light, mistakes a flask for a gun and kills, mistakenly, a Bedouin. The band placed a sticker label that denied the racist connotations on the single's 1979 reissue on fiction. An early NME article on the band wrote that the cure are like a breath of fresh suburban air on the capital smog-ridden pub and club circuit. Here is that single, Killing an Arab by the Cure.
In May of 1979, The Cure released their debut album, Three Imaginary Boys. Because of the band's inexperience in the studio, Perry and engineer Mike Hedges took control of the recording. The band, particularly Smith, were unhappy with the album. In a 1987 interview, he admitted, A lot of it was very superficial. I didn't even like it at the time. There were criticisms made that it was very lightweight, and I thought they were justified. Even when we'd made it, I wanted to do something that I thought had more substance to it. The band's second single, Boys Don't Cry, was released in June. The Cure then embarked as a support band for Susie and the Banshees on their Join Hands promotional tour of England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and Wales between August and October. The tour saw Smith pull double duty each night by performing with The Cure and as the guitarist with the Banshees when John McKay quit the group. That musical experience had a strong impact on him. Smith says, On stage that first night with the Banshees, I was blown away by how powerful I felt playing that kind of music. It was so different than what we were doing with The Cure. Before that, I wanted to be like the Buzzcocks or Elvis Costello, the punk Beatles. Being a Banshee really changed my attitude in what I was doing. Here is that second single, Boys Don't Cry by The Cure.
The Cure's third single, Jumping Someone Else's Train, was released in early October of 1979. Soon afterwards, Dempsey was dropped from the band because of his cold reception to the material that Smith had written for the upcoming album. Simon Gallup and Matthew Hartley joined The Cure. Here's that song, Jumping Someone Else's Train. For a quick detour. There was a side project by The Cure. It was a spin-off band comprising Smith, Tolhurst, Dempsey, Gallup, Hartley, and Thompson, with backing vocals from assorted family and friends, and lead vocals provided by their local postman, Frankie Bell. They released a 7-inch single in December under the name Cult Hero. The song was called I Dig You.
the cure the b-side to their single killing an arab as well as the opening track of their debut album three imaginary boys it has been performed live during most of their shows since its release and was included in their live album concert according to interviews in the booklet for the deluxe edition of three imaginary boys the demo of this next song is what caught chris perry's attention in 1978 and led him to sign the band to his newly founded record company fiction The track was written by Robert Smith at the age of 16, one evening while sitting at the kitchen table feeling utterly morose, watching the tap dripping and drinking his dad's homemade beer. It was first performed as part of sets for the band Easy Cure at gigs around the band's local area of Crawley. Here is 1015 Saturday Night.
Due to the band's lack of creative control in the first album, Smith exerted a greater influence on the recording of The Cure's second album, 17 Seconds, which he co-produced with Mike Hedges. The album was a departure from The Cure's sound up to that point, with Hedges describing it as morose, atmospheric, very different to Three Imaginary Boys. In its review of 17 Seconds in NME, they said, For a group as young as The Cure, it seems amazing that they have covered so much territory in such a brief time. Due to budgetary restraints, 17 Seconds was recorded and mixed in seven days on a budget of between 2,000 and 3,000 pounds, which resulted in the band working 16 to 17 hours a day to complete the album. Hedges and Robert Smith knew that the song, A Forest, would take more work to complete than any of the other songs on the album and would require more overdubs. The song was one of the last tracks recorded, The backing tracks were recorded first, followed by touch-ups to the individual parts, and then Smith's vocals. Fiction Records owner Chris Perry told Smith that the song had the potential to be a hit if they made it sound radio-friendly. But Smith refused, stating that the way the track sounded was the sound he envisioned in his head, dismissing concerns about radio-friendliness. Working on mixing, a forest took up much of the final day of the sessions for the album. The album was released in 1980 and reached number 20 on the UK charts. A single from the album, A Forest, became the band's first UK hit, reaching number 31 on the singles chart. That same year, Three Imaginary Boys was repackaged for the American market as Boys Don't Cry, with new artwork and a modified track list. The Cure set out on their first world tour to promote both releases. At the end of the tour, Matthew Hartley left the band. Hartley said, I realized that the group was heading towards suicidal, somber music, a sort of thing that didn't interest me at all. Here is A Forest.
The band reconvened with Hedges to produce their third album, Faith, in 1981, which furthered the mood present on 17 Seconds. The album peaked at number 14 on the UK charts. The single primary is unusual that both Gallup and Robert Smith play bass, with the effect pedals on Smith's giving the leads a unique sound. There are no guitars other than bass or keyboards played in the song. Primary was released as a single on March 20th, 1981 and reached number 43 in the UK singles chart.
late 1981, The Cure released a non-album single called Charlotte Sometimes. By this point, the somber mood of the music had a profound effect on the attitude of the band, and they were stuck in a ghoulish rut. Sometimes Smith would be so absorbed by the persona he projected on stage that he would leave at the end in tears. The song Charlotte Sometimes was based on Charlotte Sometimes, a children's novel by English writer Penelope Farmer, published in 1969. According to Robert Smith, there have been a lot of literary influences throughout the years. Charlotte Sometimes was a very straight lift. Many lines of the song reflect lines directly from the book, such as, All the faces, all the voices blur, change to one face, change to one voice. That's from the song. Compared to the first sentence of the book, by bedtime all the faces, the voices, had blurred for Charlotte to one face, one voice. The song continues, prepare yourself for bed, the light seems bright, and glares on white walls. And the book, it reads, she prepared herself for bed, the light seemed too bright for them, glaring on white walls. The Cure later released another song based on the novel called The Empty World from their 1984 album, The Top. Here is Charlotte Sometimes.
released as the sole single from their fourth studio album, Pornography. This single reached number 34 in the UK charts. The single is The Hanging Garden. NME writer Adrian Thrills was not impressed with the single, writing, The Cure have drifted disappointingly and indulgently from the idyllic pop invention of their younger days. BBC Radio DJ John Peel included the song as his number 25 of his festive 50 list for 1982. In a retrospective review for all music, Stuart Mason wrote that the song was heavily influenced by Susie and the Banshees. The urgent, thundering drums that underpin the hanging gardens are clearly some sort of homage to Budgie, who provided very similar drum patterns to the year's worth of Susie and the Banshee songs. In addition, Simon Gallup's bass borrows something from Stephen Severin's insistent throb, and Smith's own guitar is primarily used for drones and ornamentation, such as it was in the Banshees. The video shows the band playing in the York House Gardens in London, England. The band also wears masks, which is similar to the concept of the pornography album. Robert Smith recalls, For the Hanging Garden video, we got two people who did the Madness videos, but it's really an awful video. They wanted us to look serious, and we wanted them to make us look like madness. And now for the song, The Hanging Garden. Shapeless in the dark 
released as another standalone single by Fiction Records in November of 1982, the song Let's Go to Bed. In the aftermath of the Dark Pornography album, Robert Smith returned from a month-long detox in the Lake District to write the song the antithesis to what The Cure currently represented. The single was a minor success in the UK, peaking at number 44, but it was a top 20 hit in both Australia and New Zealand in 1983, reaching respectively number 15 and number 17. The origins of Let's Go to Bed lie in Temptation, one of the demos for pornography. The song is a relatively upbeat, guitar-driven instrumental, In August 1982, soon after Simon Gallup's departure from the band, Smith demoed a vocal version of the track entitled Temptation 2, a psychedelic piece not far removed from the pornography album, but somewhat lighter in tone. At the end of the song, Smith sings a string of wordless syllables nearly identical to the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do that would appear in the later song. Apologies, for butchering that part. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Robert Smith discussed the initial reaction when playing the song to Fiction Records. When I took Let's Go to Bed to Fiction and played it to them, it was like silence. They looked at me like, this is it? He's really lost it, they said. You can't be serious. Your fans are going to hate it. I understood that, but I wanted to get rid of all that. I didn't want that side of life anymore. I wanted to do something that is really kind and cheerful. I thought, this isn't going to work. No one is going to buy into this. It's so ludicrous that I'm going to go from goth idol to pop star in three easy lessons. However, the song became a success, much to Smith's surprise. Later on the same interview, he said suddenly, Let's Go to Bed was turning into a big hit in the U.S. especially on the West Coast. And we had a young, predominantly female teenage audience. It went from intense, menacing, psychotic goths to people with perfect white teeth. It was a weird transition, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny. We followed it up with The Walk and Love Cats, and I just felt totally liberated. Here's Let's Go to Bed.
released as a standalone single in July of 1983, it was recorded when the band was briefly reduced to the two founding members, Robert Smith and Lal Tolhurst, following the departure of bassist Simon Gallup, following the end of the band's previous tour in support of the album Pornography. In May of 1982, according to Tolhurst, they chose producer Steve Nye at the time due to his work on the album Tin Drum by Japan. Tolhurst later commented, It was the first time we had worked with a proper producer, as opposed to doing production with an engineer that we really liked. He was able to make electronic instruments sound more natural, and that's what we wanted. The single, The Walk, was something of a commercial breakthrough for the group with regard to their single's output, peaking at number 12 and giving them their first entry into the UK Top 20. It was also the first of their 17 consecutive Irish Top 20 hits between 1983 and 1992. Here is The Walk.
also released as a standalone single in October of 1983. It was the band's first top 10 hit in the UK, peaking at number 7. It also reached number 6 on the Australian chart in early 1984. The song, Love Cats. At the time the song was written, Robert Smith was very interested in the work of Australian author Patrick White. According to a number of his fans, Smith was inspired to write The Love Cats after reading White's novel, The Vivisector, in 1970. Although this claim is difficult to verify, in the novel, the protagonist, Hurdle, is appalled when his lover's husband drowns a sack of stray cats. White draws a parallel between the way in which cats are discarded and the treatment of certain characters in the book. By extension, the cats symbolize the most innocent and vulnerable members of society and the casual cruelty in which they sometimes meet their fate. The music video features a number of cats and a large lampshade falling on the head of bassist Phil Thornley. There are many shots of the mansion, which the band told the buyer they were interested in purchasing. They returned the keys in the morning, after the filming of the video. Real cats were supposed to be used, but after proving to be troublesome, taxidermied ones were used in the place of the real cats. Smith said of the video, The Love Cats is far from being my favorite song. Composed drunk, video filmed drunk, promotion made drunk, it was a bit of a joke. But here it is anyway, Love Cats.
July of 1985 as the first single from the band's sixth album, The Head on the Door. The song was an international success, being their first hit song to come off an album rather than a standalone single. The song is In Between Days. In the UK, it was the band's ninth chart single and their fourth consecutive top 20 hit, while in the US it was their first single to reach the Billboard Hot 100, where it peaked at number 99. It was the top 20 hit in Australia and New Zealand and also charted in several European countries, increasing their popularity. Here's In Between Days. Close to Me was released in September of 1985 as the second and final single from the Head on the Door album. The music video consists of the band all inside a wardrobe on the edge of a cliff at Beachy Head. Following the musical scheme of the song, which builds up instrumentally, all the band members are inside the wardrobe, but not playing instruments. Boris Williams is clapping to the beat. 
keyboardist Lal Tallhurst is playing a very small handheld keyboard, and Pearl Thompson on the top shelf is plucking a comb representing the short high sounds of the song. Bassist Simon Gallup does not play and instead appears to be tied up. Robert Smith then comes from the back of the wardrobe and sings, also playing with finger puppets, which appear to be voodoo dolls of the band members, and when he moves them, the corresponding member moves. He then becomes more violent with the dolls, shaking them around heavily, which in turn causes the band members to hit the sides of the wardrobe, which eventually results in the wardrobe falling off the cliff and into the sea. As they go into the sea, the wardrobe fills up with water slowly, like a capsized ship, but the band members continue to play their instruments. The video ends with the wardrobe full of water and a band member pushing a rubber duck across the screen. Robert Smith said on making the video, It was the most uncomfortable 12 hours that I've ever spent. They ended up dropping the wardrobe, with us still in it, into a huge tank filled with a thousand gallons of water. Watching it, you'd think it was fun, but all I could think about was dying a slow, painful death. The single peaked at number four in Ireland, and also reached number seven in Australia, and number 24 on the UK singles chart. It was remixed in 1990 for their remix album, Mixed Up, and the remix was released as a single, peaking at number 13 on the UK singles chart, and number 97 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in the U.S. in January of 1991. Here is Close to Me.
Why Can't I Be You was the first single released from the album Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, the band's seventh LP. In April of 1987, it peaked at number 21 on the UK singles chart. In the United States that same year, the song reached number 54 on the Billboard Hot 100, while a remix of the track charted at numbers 8 and 27 on the Hot Dance Music slash Maxi Singles Sales and the Dance Music slash Club Play Singles charts, respectively. The video for Why Can't I Be You was filmed in early 1987, in between rehearsals for The Cure's first South American tour. It was directed by Tim Pope, a past video collaborator of the groups. The video featured the band members performing what biographer Jeff Apter referred to as some of the most poorly choreographed dancing ever seen on MTV. In the NME's review of the single, writer Donald McRae singled out Smith's voice as the sole element of the song that doesn't shout teen fun. Nonetheless, he praised the band and concluded, shameless and cheap enough to steal Wham's Young Guns riff, this ditty will soon be another Top of the Pops cracker. Here's Why Can't I Be You.
Just Like Heaven was the third single released from their 1987 album, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. The song became The Cure's first American hit and reached number 40 on the Billboard charts. Smith has said that he considers Just Like Heaven to be one of the band's strongest songs. In order to develop material for Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Smith forced himself to write music for 15 days of each month. During this regimen, he developed the chord and melody, which form the basis of Just Like Heaven. According to Smith, the song is about hyperventilating, kissing and feigning to the floor. The lyrics were inspired by a trip with his then-girlfriend and later wife, Mary Poole, to Beachy Head in southern England. Smith said the opening line of the song, Show me, show me, show me how you do that trick, refers to his childhood memories of mastering magic tricks, but added, on another level, it's about a seduction trick from much later in my life. Here's Just Like Heaven.
Love Song was released as a third single from their eighth studio album, Disintegration, in 1989. The song saw considerable success in the United States, where it reached the number two position in October of 1989 and became the band's only top ten entry into the Billboard Hot 100. In the United Kingdom, the single charted at number 18, and it additionally peaked within the top 20 in Canada and Ireland. The song has been covered by several artists, with notable cover versions by American rock band 311, recorded for the soundtrack of the film 50 First Dates, and also released as a single. The song was also performed by Adele on her 2011 album, 21. Here is Love Song.
Fascination Street is a 1989 North American-only single from the album Disintegration. Their American record company refused the band's original choice of Lullaby as the first single. So it was the lead single in the UK and was released in the US later and used Fascination Street instead. The song became the band's first number one single on Billboard's then newly created Modern Rock Tracks chart, where it stayed on top for seven weeks.
its release in 1989, Lullaby became The Cure's highest charting hit in their home country when it reached number five on the UK singles chart. It remains their only single to reach the top five in the United Kingdom. In Ireland, Lullaby became the band's third top ten hit and highest charting single, reaching number three. Lullaby was a major radio hit in Poland, topping the LP3 airplay chart for four weeks. The song also reached the top ten in Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, New Zealand, and Norway. In North America, the song was released as the second single from Disintegration. It did not match its predecessor's level of success, only reaching number 72 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 23 on the Billboard Modern Rock chart. The music video won British Video of the Year at the 1990 Brit Awards. The song Lullaby was inspired by the disturbing songs Robert Smith's father would sing to him when he could not sleep as a child. He would always make them up, says Smith. There was always a horrible ending. They would be something like, Sleep now, pretty baby, or you won't wake up at all. Here's Lullaby by The Cure.
Never Enough is a single that was released September of 1990 on their 1990 remix album, Mixed Up. The song topped the U.S. Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. It reached number three in Finland and Poland and peaked in the top 20 in Germany, Ireland, New Zealand, Spain, and the United Kingdom. Unlike other Cure songs of this era, the song was guitar-oriented, featuring no synthesizers. On the album, it's subtitled Big Mix. While containing no synthesizers, the song was nonetheless influenced by baggy music. Baggy was a British dance-oriented rock music genre popular in the late 1980s and early 1990s. The scene was heavily influenced by Madchester. Although it was not geographically confined to the city of Manchester, many Madchester bands would also be described as baggy and vice versa. Baggy was characterized by psychedelia and acid house-influenced guitar music, often with a funky drummer beat, similar to the work of the Happy Mondays, Northside, and the Stone Roses. The scene was named after those loose-fitting clothing worn by the bands and their fans. Here's Never Enough.
Pictures of You is the fourth and final single from the album Disintegration. According to interviews, the inspiration of the song came from when a fire broke loose in Robert Smith's home. After that day, Smith was going through the remains and came across his wallet, which had pictures of his wife Mary. The cover of the single is one of the pictures. The same picture was used on the cover of Charlotte Sometimes, the single. But that image was heavily warped and distorted. In 2011, the song was voted number 278 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. Robert Smith always vowed that The Cure's music would never be used in advertisements. He broke his promise in 2003 when In Between Days was licensed for a Fiat ad, and in 2007, Pictures of You was used as an ad for HP digital cameras. Pictures of You by The Cure.
Released as the third and final single from the album Wish in October of 1992, in 2010, Pitchfork Media ranked it as number 184 in their list of the top 200 tracks of the 1990s. A Letter to Elise was made public for the first time on MTV's Cure Unplugged. Letters to Felice by Kafka was a huge influence when Robert Smith wrote the lyrics of the track. Here's the acoustic version from the MTV Unplugged performance. It's called a letter to Elise. Smiles 
your hands and take And I can take as much as you can throw And then throw it all away Oh, I'll throw it all away Like throwing faces at the sky Like throwing arms around yesterday You shouldn't stare like a stone in front of me Robert Smith's lyrical direction has been described as gothic sadness while licking sticky sweet cotton candy off of lipstick-stained fingers. The cure is Robert Smith is married to his longtime partner Mary Teresa Poole, whom he met in drama class at St. Wilfrid's when he was 14. They happily do not have any children, as they've decided early in life and their marriage that they did not want children. Smith adds that he does not feel responsible enough to bring children into this world. Smith and Poole have 25 nephews and nieces. Robert Smith and his wife, despite having no kids of their own, lavish gifts on his nieces and nephews, taking them to Euro Disney every Christmas. He recalls, Minnie Mouse coming up to me and asking me for my autograph with all the children looking on in absolute amazement was one of the best and most disturbing moments of my life. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame chose The Cure for induction in its class of 2019. They were inducted by Trent Reznor and performed five tracks that evening, including Shake Dog Shake, A Forest, Love Song, Just Like Heaven, and Boys Don't Cry. 
Tonight's show was purely focused on The Cure's release singles from 78 to 92, and there's no doubt that they have earned a spot as not only one of the most influential bands in rock, fashion, and pop culture, but their influence here in Orange County is stronger than ever. And now it's time for Crandall's Crucial Cut. This week's Crucial Cut will lead us into next week's topic. As we're now into October, we have explored the darker side of the 80s, looking at bands like Bauhaus, Tones on Tail, Love and Rockets, Peter Murphy, and The Cure. The featured band we'll look at next week is Echo and the Bunnymen. So join me as we pull back the orange curtain and look at the band led by the singer Ian McCullough and guitarist Will Sargent. To close us out this evening is Echo and the Bunnymen performing a cover by the Rolling Stones, Painted Black. So until next time, so long and farewell. This is Painted Black.
Behind the Orange Curtain, a look at 80s music from Orange County, California. Music that came from here and music that came to here. Join me, your host, Doug Crandall, every Thursday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time.